Hi, and welcome once again to From the Center, a podcast by the Center for Western Studies. I'm Jack Val, Fallon faculty at the Center for Western Studies, joined as always by my friend and colleague, the director for the Center for Western Studies, John Hodges. Sir, how are you doing today? Friend and colleague. I like that very much. Oh, you're welcome. Very much indeed. You're welcome. I've, very, very you've good. You've been watching movies with Christian Bale in them, haven't you? <laughs> Mm. No, I've been. <laughs> I was just thinking about uh, all the characters I've tried to create for this uh, read. My wife and I are reading through the old Dorothy Sayers mysteries, uh, and uh, there's so many great characters. I just do like you to, make voices. I, I'm afraid I do. I I like to be able to, you know, give Lorne Peter a good a good voice that has so much wit and so much self-confidence <laughs> and all that, you know. Right. Um, but but then there are lots of other people, you know. There, there, there are, are more than one British accent? <laughs> yes. Very subtle, those Brits. Mm. Uh, there's a, you know, there's a, what, there's always an inspector so-and-so or chief inspector so-and-so who's Got a kind of a more central London kind of talk like this. Okay, <laughs> right then. Off we go to the murder scene. They just always, you just always imagine someone stout and barrel chested. Yeah, you can't imagine yeah. paper thin. Actually, he'd probably be more the sergeant that tags along with them. I suppose oh, the, okay. the inspector might have a little, little bit higher. Uh, level uh, speech, but uh, in the second book that we're reading, uh, it's called "Have His Carcass." <laughs> where uh, Harriet Vane finds a body on the beach. And, uh, but she's walking along the beach in, in the Cornwall area. She's in the southeast part of, of England. And so I've been trying to practice my Cornwallish accent, too, Cornwallish. where you say all your R's. Everything says this, And you put an R on the end of any name. It's got, uh, got uh, an A on it, like um, Louisa. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> does, that mean, does that mean the band Weezer is actually just Wheeze? <laughs> just go, just go to Cornwall. Like, the Weezer, Weezer. <laughs> well, hi, <laughs> <hey>, Louiser. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was giving some talks this summer at uh, at a uh, conference uh, in East Tennessee, and. <clears throat> Uh, I was reading a bit of T.S. Eliot's uh, poetry. And in the wasteland, the second part of the wasteland, the second half of the second part of the wasteland is in a a pub. You know the bit. Yes, yes. And the the girl who is speaking, the woman who's speaking, clearly has a Cockney accent. It's it's written into the way he writes the words, you know, various things. I forget now the opening. When when, uh, when Lil's husband got demobbed, I said... That kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, demobbed is uh, demobilized. You know, gotten out of out of army. Right. So, uh, but anyway, I did I did an accent when I read it the, uh, to the to the group. You know. Yeah. Well, one of the guys that was there is actually a Scot, a pastor, uh, and yeah. Uh, and and afterward, he congratulated me on my accents. Yeah. So I thought, well, gee, if he, you know, he's the guy that really that knows. That's high these praise things. right there. Yes, indeed. So mm-hmm. I was kind of, I was kind of pleased. My, you know, I think musicians maybe listen carefully to accents and train to listen to subtleties in sound and all. Subtleties in sound. Speaking of subtleties, um, the electoral college. <laughs> Man, you are a segue and a half, aren't you? <laughs> Man, you are just, if you open up the dictionary to segue. I'm, I'm a seg of, boulevard. <laughs> just hmm. see Jack right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just thought it'd be fun to talk about the Electoral College since it seems to be 
such a big part of debate these days uh, with the 2020 election coming up and the uh, fact that that uh, 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 the last election uh, had that split, right, where one one candidate got more popular vote than the other, but right. the second candidate got the electoral votes and so won the Yes. hasn't happened that much I in the history. I think about five or six times. Is that, is that right? Yeah, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah. Seems like, right. wasn't it the 2000 election that went that way too? The 2000 that, was the same, and I know there were three others in the 1800s. In the 1800s. Yeah. Well, there you go. So it's rare. It's rare. But it does happen, and it can happen. Mm. Well, I just like, I, I like to cause as much trouble as I can on Facebook and on, you know, uh, What is the, the point internet. of social media if you're not looking for trouble? Well, that's right. I figure. You always say you go in there looking for Looking people, for anyone who's wrong. Who, people who are wrong. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it dawned on me, because uh, people were trying to, to, honest people were debating as to whether or not... Uh, you know, the popular vote ought to be the way we elect a president. That, mm. Maybe that is a good way to do it. Maybe the Electoral College is out of date and so on. And I was trying to figure a way to uh, uh, to uh, make the point that the founders, I think, intended when they crafted the Electoral College. And we can see whether it still applies or not. Uh, but I came up with an analogy. See what you think of this. Okay. What if... I hate it already. <laughs> Now hold your votes. I'm oh, sorry, your we're votes. not actually on the internet. I'm sorry. <laughs> <My bad. laughs> on the internet, that's the most important thing, right? Say so right off the bat. What if, what if the difference between the popular vote and the electoral college vote was similar to the difference between the number of runs scored in the World Series and the number of games won in mm. the World Series? Mm. Those are two different criteria, right? And I, I suggested this scenario. Say, say uh, here's the, the Nationals just won, right, the, uh, the World Series against uh, Houston. Okay. So let's say that in the first two games, the Nationals won. They, they did win the first two games, but they didn't win by these scores. But let's say the Nationals win the first two games 15-1 uh, to 1 mm-hmm. and 18-1. to 1. Just blowout. Just route. So they win the first two games. Okay. Then Houston wins the next four games in a row, but wins by one run each time. Say three to two, two to one, one to zero, something like that. Okay, real low-scoring games, but they win by a run each time. It seemed to me that you could evaluate the two teams based on how many games they win. Mm -hmm. And in that case, Houston would have won because they won four games out of of the six that were played. Mm -hmm. You have to win four out of seven. Or you could evaluate the two teams based on the accumulation, the accumulation of runs over those six games. Okay. And the accumulation of runs, in that case, would go to the Nationals, wouldn't it? Because right. it was, I don't know, 37, say, to 11 or right. something. Right. But they were strategically placed runs in those four games that won those four games for them. So to, to, to say that the Nationals should have won given this scenario, obviously, they did win. The thing. So I'm not talking about reality here. I'm talking about the miles, my little uh, analogy. The Nationals win the first two games by such a, a route that they should win the whole series because in the other games uh, they didn't. They, uh, they scored still far more runs than the other team. Mm-hmm. And to say that they should win the series because they scored more runs is a little bit like saying that in this case Hillary Clinton should have won the 2016 election because she won. 
I don't know, what, what was it, a million and a half, two million, something, something like more, that, yeah. votes more than, uh, than Trump got. Right. Now, I thought the analogy was pretty sound. Um, it, was, it explained that there are two different rules, there are two different criteria, and you, you score runs to win games, but you win games to win the series. Right. And in the same way, you score majorities in each of the individual states to win states, but you have to win the states to win the series. That's right. The, the votes are the runs, the states are the games. That's right. That's so, right. And the victor is based on who wins how many states, not who gets the most votes. That's right. That's right. Prop, uh, uh, yeah, not the gets the most popular votes. Okay. There are electoral votes, and that's sometimes why it's confusing, I think, to people, because they think, well, why would an elector get more power than I do? He gets to vote. I get to vote. Why shouldn't I be able to vote you know, him out instead? <laughs> but an elector is a different thing than, than a voter, right? So even though they both vote. They, they can only give their electoral vote to whomever won the state. So they're kind of at the... Oh, what's the word? They're kind of at the mercy of the people. Right. They're supposed to represent the people, actually. Right. And from what I understand, um, there are, let's just use Hillary and, and, and Donald Trump as the, our examples here. Um, there are electors that are elected, say, for the state of Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, that, are, uh, that are chosen for the Democrats, and if Hillary wins the state of Tennessee, those electors are the ones that go to the convention, you see. Okay. But there are also a set of electors that are voted for the Republican Party. And if Trump were to win the state of Tennessee, then the Republican electors are sent to the national con- convention. Correct. See? So in some ways, the, the electors themselves are already invested in the person that they are standing in for. You know, the the state that they're standing in for has sent them particularly because the state has said, we want, in in the case of Tennessee, I guess it was Trump, Mm -hmm. we want Trump to to get all of our electoral votes. Yeah. So there's no tension there where, say, somebody that was elected by the Democratic Party ends up at the convention and has to say, I'm voting for Trump. I'm casting my electoral vote for because it was the Republican that actually gets to stand in that slot and do that work. Right. In the other states, it's the same way. Now, there is another sort of uh, wrinkle, and that is that each of the individual states is allowed to decide how it's going to... Uh, uh, offer its uh, electoral votes. Mm. The, the state of Nebraska, for example, divides them up and says, if you win these areas in Nebraska, you'll get these, these electors. But if you win this area of Nebraska over here, you'll get that elector. Okay. So they actually divide up their electoral votes. I think, it's, I think that's right. I know Maine does that too. So you can... Yeah, because there's like... There's a district in Maine that gets like its own electoral vote points, right. whatever it is. That's right. Whatever they call it. So like Maine is three, and then there's that one district in there that's like one. That's right. That's right. So a few of the states don't just automatically give all of their electors to the one who wins the popular vote in that state. Mm. Uh, but they're the rarity. Now, recently, some states, like Colorado, I think is one, said... Uh, we are going to decide to give our electoral votes to the candidate that wins the national popular vote. Yeah. Not just the majority of our state, 
but whoever wins the national vote. So if our state elects Hillary, for example, in the, in the 2016, they've changed it since then. Okay, so I think it'll be, it was not that way in 2016. But say for our example, um, if Hillary win, won Colorado as the popular vote, but Trump had won the popular vote across the country, all of the Colorado electors would have gone to Trump. Wow. Wouldn't that be a shock? I would, and I don't know if I like that. No, I don't think it's very wise at all. If I lived in Colorado, I wouldn't like that at all. No, no. I think they're thinking only with their 2016 glasses on, where we all voted for Hillary, Mm. and and I, I think Colorado went for Hillary. I'm going to have to check that out. Maybe they you did. can check it. Didn't it? They, yeah, they, they, they did. Okay. But they were not happy. Since the majority went for Hillary and, and, uh, and Trump won the electoral college, they say, the Colorado started thinking, well, if we had just been able to give our electoral votes to Hillary, see, then she would have won. Or at least she would have had more chance to win. <sighs> so it's, it's kind of manipulating the system to get the desired result well, rather than setting up the rules and then just letting it fall. Well, here's the thing, Rogers. You've kind of given the whole g- the game away Uh-oh. in some way. Have I? Because a debate about the Electoral College is perfectly fine because we can debate about how the country is set up if we want to because sure. this country is set up by human beings – however educated or wise or insightful or profound or genius or you want to mark them out in the history of the world, it's set up by human beings. Nothing set up by human beings is perfect. It's perfectly acceptable to, like, debate and argue it out. As a matter of fact, I think our, I believe our founders set up our system to where we could debate and shape it and change it as we sure. wish because they understood that we probably might figure things out later. So it's perfectly fine to debate it. But I often find the debate about the Electoral College these days is just stupid Oh, dear. Not that word. Yeah, I know. It's just stupid. I, if there's one thing that, unfortunately, I must confess with uh, quasi-repentance, that makes me cynical about politics, it's, it's the debate about the Electoral College. Because there is this tendency that's very easy to spot, where you feel like the only reason people are debating the Electoral College, and you see the quotation marks I'm making with yeah. my hands, is simply because Donald Trump won, and they hate Donald Trump. Yeah. And, they, and they're casting about for any reason why this horrible orange bad man got <laughs> won the thing. And they're like, well, he didn't get the popular vote, but he won the Electoral College, and that's why he became president. Okay, the Electoral College has to go. That's right. And it's this knee-jerk, reactionary sort of, let's burn the house down because it did this thing I don't like this yeah. one time. Yeah. yeah. And I, that's like, if you want to debate the Electoral College, fine. I think there's actually some, some smart arguments sure. against it as well as some smarter arguments for it. But on the outset, we just have to bring up, it feels like a lot of debate about the Electoral College is disingenuous, Mm. if you understand what I mean. Would you agree-ish, sort of? Well, in my experience in the debates that I had online, I have to agree with you. I, I mean, it's easy to think that the people who are in favor of the Electoral College are only in favor of it because it did give Trump the victory. Mm. See, and they're happier with that, so they'll defend the electoral college. Right. So it's the same thing in reverse, right? The people who are against Trump wish they could abolish the uh, the electoral college because it didn't work in their favor. Right. But I would, I so I agree with you. I think most of the actually pro and con arguments that I heard were for the most part because of their political affiliations. Right. But I would really like to have a genuine debate 
about the value of the Electoral College and what good it does and what weaknesses it has Yes. Uh, so that... Uh, so that we could make changes, because it's true, we can actually change that. As a Since we the people are in charge, we the people could change that if we thought it was wise to do so. Right. Now, it wouldn't be easy. It would require some amendments to the Constitution, probably, right. or maybe only one. But uh, that, And that's not an easy thing, right? Because you have to go through the Congress to begin with, and then you've got to get three-quarters of the states to two-thirds of the Congress in each house and then three-quarters of the states to go along with it right. before it would be a, a successful amendment. Right. Uh, made purposefully, I, th- I think amending the Constitution made purposefully difficult for that very reason. But right. it may be something that would be wise. If, it, if it's the right thing to do, then we should do it. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think, frankly, most of the debate about it is because of the political outcome of the last uh, election. Uh, but I would like to think that there are some reasons for the Electoral College that maybe um, uh, are, uh, escape the, the, the attention of those who would like to see it torn down mm-hmm. in their somewhat emotional state of you know, wanting yeah. to support Hillary. So what is a, I don't know, what are some steel-manned arguments against the Electoral against College? Against the, yeah, right. right. Well, that's good. Let's talk about that a minute. From... What I understand is that if uh, I live in a big city, uh, it is actually harder for me to get a majority of my big city to vote my way uh, or for my candidate to win the big city, say, than it is, say, for a smaller population in you know, Wyoming or someplace uh, to do the same thing. And so, in a sense, my vote as a voter in New York City mm-hmm. doesn't actually carry as much weight as a vote by someone who lives in Flagstaff, Arizona, or, you know, Montana, or someplace where the population is smaller. Yes. Maybe Flagstaff. I'll cut the Flagstaff thing, because that's a city. But but uh, rural Wyoming, for example. You yes. Um, <clears throat> so... If, you, if you're thinking the, the presidency is a nationwide office, and so the nation as a whole ought to vote by majority vote for the president. Right. Because you want every single person to have an equal, equal uh, weight. Yeah, and you want a sense that the, you want a sense that the president is actually representing a majority. Right, right. exactly. Like a genuine majority of like 51% or 50.1 or 50.0, right. whatever. More right. than 50%. Right. That's right. And so I think it's tempting to want to say uh, because, of, because of the population densities, uh, one person living in a very dense population doesn't carry as much weight as one person living in a very sparse population. Right. Um, are there other good uh, well, arguments? I mean, ones I've heard. So there's... Okay, so there's that one that by making an electoral college system, you actually make things unequal. Mm-hmm. All right, so mm-hmm. it's like uh, someone who lives more densely populated vote doesn't carry quite as much weight as somebody less populated, although there's an argument that that actually helps level it out, but never mind. It's like there's, there's, it levels it out overall, but never mind. There's an argument that, that makes all our votes unequal. There's the three arguments I've heard. One is the one you mentioned, that actually this is the way to make our votes all equal, is that we just all one person, one vote, that's it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's vote counts more for anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, another argument is that you can't trust... There, there, there ought to be just this direct one vote, one person, and that's it. 
and not this mediating uh, apparatus of electors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is, it's kind of hard to steal man it, but I'll try my best, man, that the person needs to be able to speak for themselves mm-hmm. and not through a mediatory agency because that mediatory agency could potentially be bought off or it could be like in the pocket of something else. Because okay. the electors have the power to give the, their votes technically to whomever they want, right? They don't have to go along with the people, which is another mechanism. Theoretically, I guess that's true. Theoretically, it's true. It's like it's another sort of mechanism in place to make sure that in case the people get, you know, swept up by a demagogue or something like that, that there's one last stop. As a matter of fact, after the 2016 election, but before the inauguration, there were people who came out and asked that the electors not give their electoral votes to the president. Because that was like the same people who attacked the Electoral College before the inauguration were trying to use the Electoral College system as a mechanism to stop Trump. Right. But there's this attitude that there shouldn't be any mediatory agency. Because mm-hmm. I think if, if Captain America was here, he would say that, you know, uh, committees are run by agendas and the safest hands are our own. Mm-hmm. All right? We don't mm-hmm. deflect it to somebody else. A third argument I heard that when presented seems very convincing or is very powerful is that because of the way the Electoral College is set up where you win electoral votes and not a popular vote, where you win like whatever numbers to the states are given rather than the population, there is actually a mathematical probability that if you won a certain number of states based on the average number of voters that those states do, mm-hmm. um, you could technically win the presidency with like, oh, I can't remember the numbers. It was something absurd. Like you could technically win the presidency with less than 30% of the vote of the nation. Good heavens, really? Or, some, or something like uh-huh. that. Something like that is really low. If you just those votes very carefully you and the right states, ones. If you nail those states, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you know this, like that's the way electoral college is set up. Is that even though like almost seventy to eighty percent of the country v- of the voting right. of the voters Populist. voted against you, yeah. somehow twenty to thirty percent gets to dictate to everyone else uh-huh. who the president is. Uh-huh. Is that that seems really lopsided? It's almost like taking the one of the arguments for the electoral college is it protects the minority against the majority because it actually gives there is a potential for a minority of the population to kind of outvote the majority mm-hmm. based on electoral college. But it takes it and presses it to where it feels more like a small oligarchy of people <laughs> is dominating everything. Uh-huh. All right. So the three arguments I've heard is the you know one vote, one person, one vote makes things fairer. It levels things out. Right. Uh, one person, one vote without electors get rid of the mediatory agency because that kind of leaves out a level of potential corruption, potential and, uh, corruption, and right. special interest and stuff like that. And the third one is this mathematical thing. Which for people who are interested, there's there's a YouTube guy named CGP Gray, hmm. uh, and he does a bunch of crazy videos that are intriguing and frustrating all at the same time. But he does a bunch on the Electoral College, ah. and he is last I checked, he was vigorously against the Electoral College, hmm. and this was one of his arguments. Okay, because uh, he's like a science guy and a math guy, so he did the math. So you could probably find the video for it if you want to check it out. But it's that last one that mathematically it's possible that a small minority of the population could actually dictate for the entire country, and thus it would be lopsided mm-hmm. via the Electoral College. Never happened that way, but it certainly has happened that the popular vote right. went to one person and the electors went to right. the other. Not to so, the absurd extreme that he mentions, that he but he says it's at least theoretically possible, and that doesn't seem like a positive system. Yeah, yeah. So those yeah. are the three arguments I've heard. Right, right. Well, what would be the arguments then in favor of the of the two, and let's see how they intersect with each other. Let's see. Well, 
To let, let me start in reverse order. Okay. Okay. To the mathematically probable one, I can't exactly argue against the math. I can only say that that type of an absurd situation has not happened, and I don't know how. I can't imagine the situation when it actually happens because usually when the popular vote was more than was one way, but the electoral college went the other way, it was always close. You know, it was like fifty-one to forty-nine or something. Right. Like that. It was like right. really close. It was not this absurd. Wasn't lopsided. Seventy-five, twenty-five. So that situation is speculative. Mm-hmm. All right, and furthermore, even if it was, I still would say even if we had an absurd situation where, like, say, twenty percent of the voting populace decided the presidency, mm-hmm. that would be insane. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like it's safer to have a system that gives that kind of potential power to a minority group. Because mm. I don't want things to be pure majority. Because mm. sometimes majorities are stupid and wrong. I keep using that word. I'm very sassy today. I don't know why. <laughs> but sometimes majorities are wrong. And oddly enough, it's usually people on the left who argue this. And I don't understand why they're so vicious. Well, I do understand why. But cutting the bad orange they're, man out of the equation. They're forgetting right, they're their forgetting. arguments. Why wouldn't you be in favor of a system that actually gives a chance to a minority vote, even one as small as 30 to 20 percent or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you? So to that one, I just say it's purely speculative. It hasn't happened yet. And even if it did, it seems to speak to a strength of our electoral college that it's actually possible for a minority of people to decide the president. Now, the popular vote advocate would say at this point that that argument doesn't carry any weight with them because what they really want is that one man, one vote thing, right? And so they would be against uh, a 20% minority being able to dictate. Any system that would do that would be just as bad as a system that allows for 51-49 popular vote and have the 49 win the electoral college, right? Because right. they, really they really do want a one man, one vote, popular democratic process for right. this particular vote. Right. And I suppose at that point, I would say I just fundamentally disagree that a pure democracy is a good thing. That's what I really want to get to. Why is it that a pure democracy in general isn't a good thing? That's, that's right. a good question. Yeah. The short version I'll give and then move on because I want to get to the two others. But we, yeah, should, yeah. we should loop back around to the short version is that a pure democracy is just mob rule. In, in a sense, writ large. I think it was Benjamin Franklin that said that pure democracy is two wolves and a lamb voting on what's for dinner. Right. Right. And it's That's like right. a pure democracy really is just majority rule, which is really just mob rule. Like it's who, it really is just a matter of power. All right. Because it's just, it is literally, we're bigger, therefore we win. And that's bully logic. And, well, I no. wonder how much of that carries into this idea that popular, the popular vote ought to carry the day. Isn't it just that people want to say whoever is in charge, uh, whoever, whoever gets the popular vote should get the presidency because they're bigger and stronger? Yeah. I honestly, I'll tell you this, I don't actually think so. I think the people who argue against it feel, they feel like a evil, strong man came in charge because of the Electoral College and that somehow if we do a popular vote, then we're empowering the people to actually decide what the presidency is. And they don't understand that their empowering of the people is simply making it where the biggest wins. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And it's like maybe sometimes the minority deciding for you doesn't go in your favor, but wouldn't you prefer a system where a minority of voters actually has a chance to decide the election of the most powerful office? Well, one of the most powerful offices in our government. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I just, on that point, if they pointed that out, I would just say we, have, we fundamentally disagree about the value of a pure democracy. I would prefer right. a system that allows a minority of voters to win 
And quite frankly, those who claim to be on the side of social justice and all that, I don't understand why they wouldn't be on You'd the side. You'd think they'd of be that on too. the forefront of that I, argument. You would think they would. But I, I think that's right, though. And I, you're exactly right about that Benjamin Franklin quote. The, the, the problem with pure democracy was addressed by our founders to begin with. And that's why we have a republic and not a pure democracy to begin with, right? Yes. The difference between a democracy and a republic is that they, uh, you don't vote for everything on the popular level. Every law that's passed doesn't get a popular vote. The reason is, uh, for the reasons you just mentioned, the, the point is the, the founders thought if you elect representatives who then can go to Washington and represent you, then that added uh, layer will weed out some of the foolishness that comes from the pure democracy and the, and the, uh, the sort of strong-arm uh, tactics that yeah. come from pure, pure democracy, like two wolves deciding on who's what to eat, yeah. right? Um, so, so the very founding of the country is against that idea to begin with. Yeah, it's like people forget that the checks and balances and the separations of powers, the people are a kind of power. That's right. That also needs to be checked and balanced against. That needs to have its voice in its place and needs to be a part of the system, but that also needs to be checked and balanced against all the other powers out there. And that's how we keep ourselves from falling into tyrannies and violent overthrows and foolishness. At least that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, so, yes. So I was like, it has to do with this like fundamental disagreement about a pure democracy being superior to this much more complicated republic that we right. built on top of it. Right, right. But, and, and there's also the element of the, the uh, Bill of Rights. Mm. Because right off the bat, um, the, the, the folks who were, were writing the Constitution, trying to get the colonies to uh, ratify it, uh, were stopped by uh, several men who said, I'm not voting for this unless we can put limits on the government mm -hmm. and and establish rights for the people that can't be taken away by majority rule. Right. So th the freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, the freedom of the press, uh, the freedom of religious uh, practice, the freedom to uh, assemble, uh, all those things, uh, the freedom to arm yourselves, all those things in, those, on the, in that first set of ten uh, amendments mm -hmm. were specifically to guard the minority from the majority. Yeah, they were saying basically, I'll vote for this constitution if you will accept these limits, so that when the majority votes on something, even the representatives of the majority of the country, say, say the entire Senate and the entire House of Representatives vote unanimously to limit, uh, eliminate free speech, mm -hmm. they, they would be struck down. Right, because they can't. Because they can't do that. A majority, even a complete majority, a unanimous majority, isn't big enough to eliminate the the freedom of one individual to be able to speak out against his government. Yeah, it's just another thing people forget. They we speak of the Constitution as a great document of liberty. When it first came out, people were against it because they thought it was despotic and tyrannical. Right. Because its whole purpose was to strengthen the federal government. Yeah. beyond what the Articles of Confederation had. And so when it was being hashed out, people were like, we'll agree to this, but only if you make those guarantees on limiting the power of the government in some way. There has to be some things that are just like, 
you know, you cannot cross these lines. That's right. As the, That's the, right. Yeah. And I am grateful to those who uh, argued for those things. Mm-hmm. And you can read, you're reading the Federalist Papers with your students, right, yes. nowadays. And much of these sorts of things are described in those, those Federalist Papers. And I am a descendant of, uh, of George Mason, who was uh, directly involved with the Bill of Rights and uh, writing God, it. I need a broom to clean up all these names. <laughs> that I, that I <laughs> dropped. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my direct descendant, my, uh, my ancestor was uh, involved directly with that. So I, I care very much about the Bill of Rights and the, and the protection that it affords uh, minorities. And I think that, I, I guess I would argue, um, well, I'll, I'll save that argument for the end. So this... Opposition that you intuitively sense and intellectually sense about uh, opposition against the uh, uh, democratic, pure democracy, one man, one vote kind of a thing, is actually uh, reinforced by the guys who actually started the country. They knew what they were doing and they agreed with you, it seems to me. To the second argument, which is that, well, this mediating source of the electors is something that, you know, is... Dangerous because they can be bought off or something like that. I think Adam Adam ruins everything at a video about this. Mm. And, of course, he, as Dickinson would say, told the truth but told it slant. Okay, so there are, like, these people who are, like, who are the electors and they give the votes, the electoral votes, right. to whoever won the state. And there's this, you know, image of them as, like, a bunch of fat cats who are sitting on top and, well, they get to actually decide the fate of the country and you have actually no power to say, <laughs> you know, and they were wearing, like, top hats and, like, you know, uh, their their coats had tails. Oh, and They were no. just sipping oh, wine, no. just like, oh, yes, the peasants want us to choose their president. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's this totally slanted view of the thing. Uh-huh. My response to it is that, it's also, similar to the, the mathematical one, it is also purely speculative because, as far as I know, every time a state voted one way, the electors went that way. That's right. Okay, first of all. That's right. So this idea that there are a bunch of fat cats on top is just another sort of foolish populist view of people being, of this of, of layers, mm. of like layers of things. Okay, mm. so first of all, it's purely, that's also purely speculative in fantasy land and not the good kind of fantasy land. <laughs> Uh, first of all, second of right. all, it just goes back to the democracy thing again. The electors are there as another layer to be a just-in-case check on the people in case they do something foolish. And why I really don't take this argument seriously about how, well, these electors are a bunch of fat cats on top is because after a certain bad orange man got elected on the November elections, between the election day and inauguration day, the very same kinds of people who are now saying electoral college is a you know tool of imperialist patriarchy or something like that, those exact same people just five minutes ago were asking the electors to stop the election of Donald Trump, right. which is within their rights, I believe. Theoretically, it's within their rights to do. It's like, wait a minute, just five minutes ago, you saw the benefit of having that check and balance against the people, the electors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's one reason why they're there. One reason why they're there is like, what if the people legitimately tried to vote in actual Hitler, okay? The electors could stop it. Like, they could say, no, we're not going to cast our votes in this way. I think that's right. I'm going to just put a little proviso in here. We, oh, please we do. don't know. I don't, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer enough to be able to say. Neither am but I. But 
if it, each state, as I said before, each state has the ability to set up how their electors are going to be how they can hand out chosen the and what they do. Right. And it may be that it say if the electors in Tennessee said, well, we've decided we don't want to go with the majority of Tennesseans and we're going to vote for the other candidate. They there may be some legal issues. Uh, that go yeah, on. I mean they may be taken right. to court for that because I think right. they must. They must in in many states, maybe not in all, but in many states, they must have some kind of swearing an oath of saying I will represent yes. these people, and that's how they get elected. You see, right. if you don't promise that on the front, because the people elect the electors. Yes, you see what I mean. So when you go and vote for the president, you also vote for the electors. That right. go with that president. Right. And the oath swearing, the electing of the electors and the oath swearing is another just thing I would point out that this is not a bunch of just random cabal of fat cats who are like That's holding right. the country hostage. That's They're right. all part of the system that checks and balances us and makes sure that every, this whole thing works smoothly and operates smoothly. All right? right. If you're not happy with the way your electors go, then go vote in new ones. Okay. For That's your right. state. That's right. Because, right. anyways. Yeah. So that would be against the second one, which always just – it just smacks of like a populist conspiracy theory, which I have no <laughs> patience for conspiracy theories whatsoever. Uh, yeah. To the first one, yeah. all right, which is just the plain old one person, one vote is fairer, mm-hmm. all right? And what I, have to, what I would say to that is nothing new. It's the same old argument. People typically lay against it, Okay. But it's the same old argument because it's still, in my view, a completely unanswerable, slam-dunk, shut-your-mouth argument. All right? The reason why we have electoral college and why one man, one vote doesn't work is because California has 40 million people in it. Yes. Which, if you look at the populations of Alabama and Arizona and Arkansas and Alaska combined doesn't even make half of that. Yes. One state has more people in it than four other states. Yes, yes, that's right. Why should that one state, just because of mere numbers, have more say than four other states? Make it even stupider, New York City, not New York State, New York City has 8.8 million people in it all by itself. Right. All right? That is more people in it than the entirety of population of Arizona. Arizona only has 7.1 million people in it. <laughs> One city, mm-hmm. by popular vote standards, has more power than a whole state. Right. Technically speaking, New York City has more people in it than Alabama... Alaska and Arkansas combined. <laughs> so one city actually technically has more, by popular vote standards, has more power to it than three states, including one of them, Alaska, is the largest state in the entire union. Right, in terms of square mileage. Let me, exp- this is like my explanation. Now I'm getting like internet angry, but, but because this is, this is so obvious. I don't get why people don't understand this. So I'm mm-hmm. going to try and say it as simply as I can. The reason we have an electoral college is so New York doesn't dictate the entire country. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, somebody once said it, and I just, it was like, the, to me, this was the like slam dunk, shut up, the argument's over. It's like there was no electoral college that all presidents would have to do is campaign in Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, and New York, and Philadelphia, and that's it. That's right. That's it. Yeah. Forget everybody else. I don't have to go up to any of the states in the north. I don't have to go to the south. Yep. I don't have to go anywhere. I just those yep. five cities, and that's all that matters. And five 
urban areas that don't even cover, I don't know how many square miles they cover. It's like minuscule square mile coverage of areas get to dictate to the whole rest of the country who gets to be the president. Yeah. All right? That's how it would go. That's how it would go. And the problems that urban dwellers have would be treated very seriously by the president, right, mm-hmm. and by the government. And the problems that rural people have would be ignored. Yeah. That it would just be by necessity that way. Or if they just focused on, like, Los Angeles and New York, then it's like coastal elite areas' concerns, and the rest of the country's concerns don't matter because all you care about is winning the big populous cities. Yeah, if you can and win those, those big populations, then you don't have to worry about the other, you know, you probably have, 45 states would be ignored. The reason we have the Electoral College is because <laughs> that's how you get presidents to try and represent the entire country. That's right. And people don't understand. I don't know if it's a paradox or if it's just people are stupid. But people who say, and I keep saying stupid, I'm being really mean. I apologize, <laughs> but this just gets me really frustrated. People who say, the po- if we did a one vote, one, one person, one vote, popular vote, that that somehow would better represent the country, I'm sorry, you are wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, it mm-hmm. would not. It would mean that the top four or five urban areas would determine the entirety of the country. Right. It's the electoral college that makes the president campaign everywhere. That's right. And when they don't campaign in certain places, like when a certain Hillary Clinton doesn't campaign in areas of the Rust Belt, they pay for it. Yeah. Right? So it's like if you really want – so, A, if you you want a system that gives minorities a chance, you go with Electoral College. If you want a system that gives checks and balances against mob rule, you go with Electoral Colleges. If you want a system that actually forces the president to try and speak to the entire country and their needs, you go with Electoral College. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The popular vote cannot give you that. Popular vote would give you domination, oddly enough, by an urban minority. But that's it. There wouldn't even be an option for the whole country together. Yeah. South Dakota would never hear from the president. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> right. <sighs> OK. You took a glass of water or yeah, something. You doing OK? <laughs> it's very, very frustrating. Oh, golly. Well. I've been thinking, too, about this, and I I, I think I understand why it is that people might think that that one man, one vote thing would work because they think of the country as a whole, as a a whole. Like, you know, it used to be before the Civil War, we called the country a different name than we call it now. Mm -hmm. It used to be referred to as these United States. Uh And after the Civil War, we called it the United States. United States. Yes. And the difference between those two words is, is huge. Yeah. Um, it used to be, and I think what the founders were thinking was, we are a conglomeration of um, communities, yes. big communities sometimes. Um, not just, um, not just a, one big thing. We are a collection of smaller things. And those th- smaller things are not individuals. Those smaller things are communities. Mm. And I think that the Electoral College has the strength of making it possible for communities to have competitions over who to have in the White House. Mm. That is, if the the concern is that the guy in New York City and the guy in Wyoming don't have the same weight with their votes because there's so many more people in New York than there are in Wyoming – 
the temptation is to think that that equality has to be regained. But what really, what, what the Electoral College does is set up an equality with those votes with the people that live in your community. Yes. So your community, in this case New York City, or the state of New York, I'd be interested to see if you can look it up. Tell me, tell me how many people live in the state of New York. Because um, I'm wondering if maybe the city of New York actually outweighs the entire rest of the state. It is, it is a vast majority of, yeah, so like New York City is 8.4 million and the whole state is 9.5. For heaven's sake. Well, there you go. They way outweigh yeah, even almost, their own state. Al- almost 50% of the population is in one city. 50%. It's yeah, 90%. It's like, it was like 19 and 8 point something. So it's like... Oh, I thought you said 9. No, nah, 19 million. It's 19.5 million. Sorry. Okay. Right. So about half about yeah. half of them that, live in one city. That's still a big weight. That's a huge, huge city. But what I'm saying is <clears throat> what your community, in this case your state, gets a chance to have everybody in that state have the same weight Mm. So you all have chosen to live together in that state. You all have to decide for your state what it is you're going to do. Yes. And that, so the majority wins in your state. And so your vote counts just as much as everybody else's. There's nobody's that counts more to. The guy in Wyoming, if compared to the New Yorker, maybe has more weight because of the fact that the, the math works that way. Mm. He is a larger part of a small majority yeah. Than the than the one person is in New York. However, he's not competing against the guy in New York. No, his vote goes to a majority in his state in his community. Yeah. So what the what the electoral college allows for is for each of the communities of the of the the nation to speak. Yeah, that's what people again what people forget. Like a president can lose the total national popular vote. But to win the presidency, he has to win more popular votes per state. Right. Does that make sense? Like, right. he can't, I mean, on a national level, it may work out they got 49% to 51%, and they still win the presidency. But if in Wyoming, they only got 49%, they lost that then state. Then they lost the entire state. All right. Exactly so, right. So, like, that whole thing they're worried about, like, how can someone win 49% to 51%? Well, state to state, that doesn't happen. You have to get the majority That's of the right. votes. That's right. And so when you think about one man, one vote, it actually does happen. Yeah. But it only happens within your particular state. It's like whenever, whatever, whoever wins the presidency has actually won not a national popular vote, but a vast majority of state popular votes. Exactly. Exactly. In the same way, to go back to our baseball analogy, mm-hmm. that you have, to win a, you have to win a majority of runs in a game, but you have to win four out of the seven games in order to win the series. Right. And uh, so it doesn't matter how many runs you score outside of or in, in conjunction with the other games you played. It's each individual game. Each individual game is its own discrete competition. Yeah. And that's how it is in Wyoming and in New York and yeah. so on. Can you imagine the World Series if, like, it was based on runs alone? Oh, yeah. Like, one game, it's like, well, let's just slam it out of the park, like, 30 to 2, and then the rest of the games we can just sleep. Right. Because, like, you know, as long as we just strike them out, we don't have to try. You know, once we're at bat, who cares? We yeah. we got, like, a 30-point lead. Right. It would make a very dull World Series. And you wouldn't feel like... The person who won it deserved it because they only really blew it out for one game, and then for like the next whoever like next three or so, they just were asleep at the wheel and didn't really try. Well, it would be the equivalent of having a a seven day because you'd have to do all seven, wouldn't you? That would yeah. be fair if you didn't. A seven day game, 
<laughs> yes. You know, the first nine innings are played the first night, and the next nine innings, 10 through 18, are played the next night, and right. then 19 through 20, whatever. You know, like that, it's, it's really one long, continuous game then. It doesn't matter, in a sense. But, but there's so many wonderful variables about the game of baseball that uh, make each game its own interesting event. So you change pitchers. For example, I mean, pitching is everything in a baseball game, right? So if your pitcher is off that night, you know, your team might be the better team. But because your pitcher actually wasn't on his game that night, um, the other team wins. So you play seven games. You don't just play one. You play seven because that in playing seven, you kind of overcome the luck aspect of it all. We were talking about this last night with the students. Um, the, the doubling cube in the game of backgammon is to, to get past the luck aspect of it all. Mm-hmm. If you only play one game with somebody, you might luck out and win it, mm-hmm. where the other guy really is a better player. But if you play ten games with them in a row, yeah. and you use this doubling cube, then, and for those of you who don't know about backgammon, it doesn't matter, we won't go into that. Look it up in but, Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but if you but if you play ten games, it sort of weeds out the luck portion and gets you to a much better picture of yes. who's the better player. And it, and it creates and that's it, how it is in the World Series, and I think that's how it is in the election too yeah, by state. Yeah, it creates an actual paradoxically, it creates an actual fairness. And some mad genius comes along and says, "Well, what if we divide the innings up and count it as not runs, but yet to win sets of innings together? Sure, sure. Wouldn't that make it fairer?" Likewise, it's like. Well, who cares if like you won the certain number of votes, but you lost the majority of the states, or you didn't win the majority of the states? That wouldn't seem fair. The Electoral College actually makes the system more fair because it forces them to represent everybody, and each state is fairly represented amongst other states. I'm not. I'm repeating myself. No, that's exactly right. Uh, and then let's take it out of the just the numerical, mathematical kind of aspect of it, and recognize this is politics we're talking about and the and how the how the nation decides to go forward in foreign policy tax policy uh, uh policy for farmers policy for for wetlands you know epa policies policies for urban sprawl policies for education i mean you know they're, they're, yeah. they're deciding all sorts of things all the time or they, at least they should be right if you, if you have the Electoral College and it forces each of the candidates to go and, and campaign in each of the states to win the individual states, well, the concerns that people have in Wyoming are not the same concerns that they have in New York. Right. Right? So the, the, I, I, one of the guys on Facebook did a great job of describing it. He said, without the Electoral College, Minnesotans could vote to eliminate air conditioning for the whole nation. Right. Imagine Minnesota had, like, the dominant vote for some yeah. reason. Like, they had the it, biggest majority, the biggest number of people. Uh, you're trying to save the country from the, the tyranny of the majority where the, that particular group doesn't need something that the rest of the country needs. Or somebody in, you know, say the majority is all in Texas, and Texas decides we don't need heat. Right. right. So the Minnesotans start freezing to death. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You have to be able to have this teamwork of the states together. So if I'm running for office and I go to New York, I need to address the concerns that New Yorkers have. 
But I have, I have to be in the back of my mind. I've got to also go and speak in Nevada or in Wyoming or Montana or yeah. North, North Dakota or someplace. And they have very different interests and very different needs. And uh, so maybe for the New Yorkers, I say, I'm going to promise to um, improve education in New York. Okay, And they say, you know what? I believe him. I'm going to vote for him. And so I win New York. But I go to I go to Wyoming. I'm just picking states and random here. I don't know. But let's say Wyoming says, no, our education system is just fine. We don't need you to promise us anything about that. If you want to win our vote, you have got to talk about cattle ranges, (laughs) you know, or whatever. And I have to have an opinion about that. I have to say this is what I think about how cattle ranges ought to be run or, or uh, you know, national parks or something. And they say, you know what? We like the way you think about national parks. We're going to vote for you. And I win Monta- or Montana or whatever, too. Yeah. Um, but if I, if I only dealt with the population centers, then I'd never have to deal with, as you said before, with Montana yeah. and the park system and the, all that stuff would go by the wayside. And they would have to live with whoever it is that New York and Los Angeles have uh, elected. Mm. Right. No matter what he thinks about yeah. parks, is it possible we can? This might be a fool's errand, but so I mentioned those three, and like I think our whole podcast is basically that. So a I'm fool's like, errand, right? <laughs> we should rename it a fool's errand. Um, <laughs> is it possible we could put our heads together and try to conceive of a fourth argument, not necessarily against the electoral college, but describes mm-hmm. a much like what is it? Is there a legitimate? Problem or difficulty of electoral college, all right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh-huh. like, is there actually, or is there, or what is a way in which it kind of is imperfect? Like, it doesn't really do what it. Because I don't want to sit here and say, well, it's obviously sterling and perfect and can never go wrong. But is there a fourth way, or like another way that we can think of, or is there a way we would think to? How would we in our mad genius? And let's just assume on the front end that this is all mad genius, half baked ideas. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm good at those. How can we conceive, can we conceive of a way the electoral college could actually be tweaked to be a little better? Well, yeah, let's put it that way. Like I have one mad genius idea that I have no idea if it would be better or not, but I was curious about it. Well, why don't you tell us what you think? Because I'm right. stewing about. I'm it. not saying this because I think this is a good idea. Because I'm actually not sure. I just thought about it. I'm like, okay, well, if people are annoyed at electoral college because, like you said, they feel like we're all one big nation, but we're not. We're a bunch right. of communities, and even people have done some research to say that. Even if we're not, you know, simply 50 states, we're at least seven different, seven or eight different countries made up of one country, like regions all kind of right. have similar right. vibes and feels about it. So we're not one giant nation. We have, we are, but you understand what I mean? We're not, we don't all think like we're not the same interests. There has to be a recognition of that. Electoral college recognizes that better. However, there is this sense of like, well, I feel like, you know, I live in Memphis. What does Nash? What does Nashville matter to me? Or like, mm-hmm. or like, you know, I I live way out in East Tennessee and Bristol or something like mm-hmm. that. What does Memphis matter to me? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm out. So maybe people would feel like there was better representation if we made it even smaller, like a better rep, like their communities became smaller, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. instead of having electoral college based around the states, you had electoral colleges based around the counties. Mm where each county carried uh, electoral weight. Mm-hmm. And instead of having to win like 270, you had to win like seven or 800. Mm-hmm. You know, like the number mm-hmm. skyrockets up. But now it's not state by state, but county by county. Well, that's an interesting thought. I, when you first asked the question, my mind went to the concern that people have about how, uh, uh, how 
one man ought to have the same vote as another man and and uh, one person, and uh, and so each individual has a significant uh, weight, an equal weight, but. And that the electoral college, in a sense, doesn't give you that, but it does on a way, in a way because the, uh, the the states. You know how many electoral votes for our listeners, if they don't know, the number of electoral votes that your state gets is based on how many representatives and senators you have. Mm-hmm. So every state has two senators so and at least to. one representative. So everybody, you can't have less than three. Correct. So every every state has three. But you have more representatives if you have more population. Yeah. And so the state of California, I think, is 58 electoral uh, votes. Is the last right? time it was 50, 54. Uh, six, 2016, it was 55. 55, okay, 55 electoral votes, whereas Alaska probably only has three. Yes, only right? has three. Uh, and many other states, too. Uh, Texas is a big state, mm-hmm. lots of square mileage, but it also has a lot of population, so it has 38 uh, electoral votes. Correct. Whereas Tennessee, I think, is only 11. Yes, we're only 11. So it has. So, so in other words, the, there is a representation of popular vote, in a sense, in the number of electoral votes that get given to a candidate when that state goes that way. Yes. So if you win the, uh, if you win the majority of Tennesseans, then you get 11 votes. If you win the majority of Alaskans, which is a much smaller population, you only get three votes. Yes. So it's not like every state gets the equ- an equal number of votes. Right. It goes still, by population. Diversity. So there's something of that. Anyway, my point is we already do that to a degree. Yes. What you're asking for is actually smaller districts and higher numbers of people. Yeah. And it might be that that would reduce the, uh, the size of the communities to a, a level that would be more, I don't know, uh, apropos uh, for a majority, so that only the people who live in in uh, Shelby County, or I think Shelby County even is not just one vote; it's got several. But so right. a portion well, of Shelby County right. would get. Well, well, we'd like, knock it down even smaller. Yeah. Well, I was imagining like if we were doing it by county, each county we'd have to recalculate and figure out. Well, how many electoral votes would you give each county if you were doing right. it by counties? Because because on Manhattan Island, there's a there's one county, but it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. So it's like you to, it was almost like you'd have to treat each county like they were a state. And, and it like would be unjust out. to say because you've got eight million people and my city only has half a million people hmm. that we get the same amount because we're both one county. Well, that would yeah, never no, that work. that's so not you, fair. Yeah, so you'd have to. It's like instead of do, we still have the electoral college, but instead of doing it by states, we do it by county. Well, I wonder how that would change things. Uh, it would certainly increase the yeah, numbers. That's, that's the but only you'd re- still have to win a majority of your county to win your numbers, and you'd have to win what a majority of the counties in your state to win. Yeah, I just the states. I sometimes wonder. Or would you, or would you give those electoral votes directly from the county to the? Uh, to the electoral college, to electoral, so that it, it yeah. doesn't speak for the whole state. No, it, just it doesn't speak for, that for one the whole state. Aha! That's how it I see. Now so, I see like, what you're if thinking. again, just using the original, if like Clinton won Memphis and Nashville, and Trump won all the other counties, then Clinton gets the electoral votes of Memphis and Nashville, and Trump yeah. gets all the other counties. Yeah. yeah. Now they may be weighted in such a way because the high urban areas would have more than all the counties together than all the other counties, but still, it'll be something like that. Well, so it's more like instead of you're stuck with whatever way you're state goes, it's like it's your county, which is even closer. It's like even yeah. more your community. Yeah. And I'm not sure, 
I'm not sure how it would change things because it's still t- technically the same thing. It's just there's more, like there's more numbers. But I'm trying to think what would diffuse this idiocy yeah. that tries to act like the electoral college is, you know, jilting us out of our, out of our ability to have a say. It may be if people felt like, you know, their electoral stuff was closer to home. Uh huh. You know, because sometimes even your state can feel like an abstraction. You, sure. Right? Sure. But if sure. it felt like it was closer to home, like you know, well, I can decide where Shelby County goes, right, or you know, whatever, or DeSoto County, if you're in DeSoto, or wherever I can, or Fayette County, you yeah. know, I can decide yeah. where my county goes and who the electors of those are. I can at least decide that. Then even if you lost, maybe there would be still some satisfaction that you knew. Well, at least my county went where I wanted it to go. Right. And maybe right. that would help. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a perfect fix. But I sometimes wonder if it would, and there will always be people who are just mad. But well, the, I sometimes wonder if it wouldn't help diffuse some frustration people may feel. I think that's in the spirit of the Electoral College mm-hmm. that we have right now. So the same, the same idea is that my state went this way, uh, even though your state didn't. Uh, my state went the, the way yeah. I wanted it to go. Um, but the, the 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 interesting wrinkle would be to have each of the counties directly send their number of uh, electoral votes to the uh, national convention. Yeah. What it would do is, I don't want to say undermine the state, but it would it would uh, um, undervalue the state as a whole. It would it would suddenly the nation would be made up not of fifty states, but it made up of like, well, three thousand counties, counties or whatever or it is. Like yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, that's an interesting thought. But it, at least it's in the same spirit that someone yeah. would represent that that ensemble, that yeah. whatever it is, state or county. And I, I, I openly admit, I don't know if it would be technically better. Technically, it might be exactly the same. But from a perception standpoint, maybe it would help people feel better. Well, because of the fact that the state now has to be won by a majority... I don't think it would change the outcome very much. If you, if you, um, I'm just trying to think it through. Let's say, I forget what the number is, how many people uh, are, are associated with one representative? Mm-hmm. Say it's half a million. It's not. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But say it's half a million people. Um, and we have 11 elector, electoral votes. We have nine representatives and two senators. So... Um, the 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 each county then would have to have its own majority rule thing, mm. and the elector that would be associated with that county would go to the national convention, but the percentage would be the same. It seems to me the well, it would, it would do away with the states. Is what it would do. Yeah. It would do away with the states because it would be uh, the counties would have integrity and the states would disappear. The lines between the states would disappear. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, and I'm not sure that's the best thing yeah. because the, the right now the electors are associated directly with the population of the entire state. What you, what your plan would do would be to reset how many electors we get uh, and bypass Congress. The whole idea of Congress being the rep, the set of Numbers that we work with uh, might have adverse effects on Congress too. I don't know why. I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, my challenge. Yeah, hopefully this little experiment proves how you know your half-baked idea to fix how the founders built the thing 
can have all kinds of consequences that you don't understand. Unforeseen consequences. Well, you remember when we were talking about Colorado actually deciding to send all of its electors to the popular vote, and we neither one of us liked that idea very much. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the, I especially wouldn't like it if I lived in Colorado. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't like it either. But if your county idea went through, then say you had five, you know, 400 different electors that went to the national convention from your state, uh, some of them would go to one candidate and some of them would go to the other. So there wouldn't be any unity in your state. Your state would be, that's why I meant the state would be dissolved. Yeah. Um, right now the state speaks for itself. And so you, when you've seen the, seen the national conventions, they, they, from the dais they'll call, and what about Vermont? You know, and, right. Vermont, and then all the electors are Right, there. they're all together, and the leader of them will say, Vermont goes for Smith, you know, yeah, and right. like that. So there's a kind of state uh, um, honor. The honor of the state is, is involved, wrapped up in that yeah. decision. We had our own little conference, and we decided as a as a state that we were going to vote this way. And so Vermont now speaks for a whole as a whole, and it has the ability to unify the state if we but let it. Yeah, it says you know yeah okay you and I disagree about who should be elected. You got the majority this time, and I didn't. You win, okay. But I'm now going to be a Tennessean with you and get behind whoever it is. You see yeah. what I mean? And I'm already saying. I don't know. It's not a problem with the logic of it, but I can already see a problem people are facing. Yeah. And that is, okay, well, we voted this way, and I disagree, but you know what? We're going to unite as Tennesseans together behind us. No, we're not. Mm-hmm. Like, like, that's not what happens, right? What happens is I voted this way, and you voted for Orange Hitler, therefore you're evil, and I don't want to be a Tennessean <laughs> with you anymore. So, like, this whole well, thing, that, a lot that's, of, is, that's exactly what happens. Right. A lot of this is predicated on everybody assuming, well, it didn't go my way, but you know what, for the sake of unity and cohesion, let's get behind this, right? Which was sort of a, a norm, you know, it's like the election's over, it was decided, if you lost, we're sorry, but now it's, the, I mean, all the presidents who, like, win always make some kind of speech, it's like, it's, now it's time for us to come back together, right, right? right? And it feels like... Except for Trump this past uh, yeah, well, yeah, he really didn't do that, I was surprised. Know, yeah, there wasn't a call to unity, and I feel like... I mean, it's arguable that for the last like four or five decades, it's been really hard for the nation to feel unified in our politics, mm-hmm. right? But it does seem like one of the ways the Electoral College works, one of the ways, not the only way, one of the ways it works, not me- mechanically, but culturally, is if it's done upon a background of no matter what happens, we all agree to sort of accept it. Yeah. Right. And well, I may not have wanted Tennessee to go towards X, but they did. So in the name of, you know, state cohesion and loyalty with my neighbors and my friends, we all stand together. You voted for that and you're evil. And it's like it was like that attitude is there. And so that I feel like if you don't have that sort of background of, well, whatever happens, we all come back together. Well, that's why I said uh, if we but will. If we but will, yeah. Yeah, if it's a matter of our wills. It's a if, matter of our yeah. hearts. If you, if you don't but, have that cultural background, then it's easier to understand why some people will be like, well, why should these electors decide for me? Or why should right. I be, why shouldn't the states dissolve? I would rather my county decide. I like my county. It's a bunch, it's all blue, right? right. Or it's all right. red or something like that. Sure, sure. You can understand almost. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, and I think, and that's why I say if you but will, what, what not only do we hate each other, <laughs> Uh, and not not look for unity. But what, what happens is we do actually move to other states. Mm. You know, in California, I understand in the last few years, there has been one million people that have left the state.
state yeah. and moved to other states, mostly to, to Texas. But uh, there, were ev- there was even a, a push uh, and bumper stickers and so on uh, in uh, Colorado that said, don't come here. <laughs> we don't want you, Californians, you know. But there were Californians who were saying, I don't like the way my state has gone. I don't agree with them. I'm leaving. Yeah. Part of it is tax decisions right. uh, and so on. But it's also partly, you know, who they elect. But I think it happens in Tennessee, too. Either you don't, if you say, say Tennessee goes for Trump and you're a diehard Hillary fan, well, if you can't find camaraderie in the, in the groups of, in the big cities where mostly the Hillary supporters were, uh, let's move to, uh, let's move to Illinois. Let's move to Chicago. Let's move to New York. Let's yeah. move to, right? Well, here's the beauty of this country. This is, or this is, here's the, here's the beauty of the state system. Okay. If your state decides a certain way and you don't like it, you can move to another state where they agree with you. You can find a com- community where you feel more at home and you don't have to give up your citizenship. Right. If a rule is set for the entire 50 states, in other words, if you think of the nation as a whole and not as individual states, uh, and the state lines become arbitrary, they're not important anymore. And, and being a member, uh, 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 being a, uh, a citizen of a particular state doesn't have any merit, any importance, then you can't actually go anywhere. There isn't any place to go unless you want to renounce your citizenship and become a Mexican or a, a British guy or a Chinese guy or whatever. You know, you want to go ask them if they'll take you into their country. But the wonderful thing is that we can disagree and still live in the same country, country and still be Americans. Uh, if we support this notion of the sovereignty of the states, the importance of the states, significance of the states. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the uh, Electoral College is a, part, a significant part of that, that strength, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that I'm for the Electoral College for the same reason that I'm for the Bill of Rights, because I think it actually makes it possible for minorities to be supported not be destroyed by majorities, by the tyranny of the majority. Yes. Uh, and uh, both of those are intended to do just that. And so I'm all in favor of minorities being uh, defended. Well, on that note, uh, recommendations. I want to go back to what I was talking about at the very beginning and recommend these wonderful Dorothy Sayers uh, murder mysteries. If you haven't read Strong Poison, I recommend it immediately. You recommend murder and poison? What is this, Hodges? <laughs> Wait, you misunderstood. You, I didn't mean, I didn't... Uh. Strong Poison is the first where Lord Peter Whimsey and Harriet Vane meet each other for the first time. And I won't tell you about the story, but it's delightful and yes. fun and clever. And if you like murder mysteries anyway, it's a great story. But there's also the addition of uh, their meeting and their romance. And he's smitten with her just right off the bat. Uh, the second novel with them in it is called Have His Carcass. And that's wonderful, too. Mm-hmm. It's a, actually, it's a, a legal term. You have to have the body in order to be able to, to uh, uh, accuse somebody yeah. of a murder. Uh, the third of the series is called Gaudy Night. And that is uh, wonderful and different. It's not exactly a murder mystery. It's a mystery, but it's not a murder mystery. Uh, and it, it um, 
extends their relationship into the third one. And then the fourth one uh, I would recommend is called uh, Busman's Honeymoon. Hmm. You've heard of the idea of a busman's holiday uh, where a, a person who drives a bus all the time goes on a bus somewhere. That's a busman's holiday. Well, a bus, this is called Busman's Honeymoon because when – I don't want to go into it all. Yeah, don't spoil it. I don't want to spoil it. Say. So obviously there's a honeymoon involved and, uh, and uh, a murder happens on the honeymoon. So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a detective's honeymoon as it were. Oh, man. So they're just delightful, extremely well-written, delightful use of the language, many interesting characters, lots of fun, uh, lots of, it's, it's all sort of 1930s. If you like the Hercule Poirot uh, mysteries of Agatha Christie yeah. and the television shows that David Suchet did that are so good uh, yeah. that we love. And if you do great accents. And if you do great accents, you can read them aloud to your spouse and uh, maybe she'll appreciate them. Uh, so that's my recommendation. I think they're delightful and lots of fun to read. All right. Um, for the sake of critical thinking and such and that, I recommend people go check out CGP Gray's videos on the electoral yes. college. Good idea. It's CGP, just the three letters together, and then Gray, but spelled with an E. It's the G-R-E-Y. British E-Y. Okay. Uh, and if you search for them on YouTube, it would just be CGP Gray and then electoral college. And all the first one up should probably be one called the. It's got like over four million views. It's called the Trouble with the Electoral College. Ah. And he's a very smart man with whom I disagree with a lot because he's a dirty scientist materialist, or a scientism materialist, or something mm-hmm. like that. So I disagree with him a lot. But he's a very smart guy, and he can lay out the issue very intelligently. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for a counterpoint, an intelligent sort of anti-electoral college position, then he's probably the guy to. I would recommend checking out any one of his videos. So anything by CGP Gray, spelled with an E, and the Electoral College. And before we quit, I want to remind everybody that we'd love to hear from you. And so send us an email if you want to debate us about the Electoral College, uh, if you want to support us, uh, send uh, poison pen letters. Any of that is perfectly good, uh, but you send them to my attention, uh, director at centerws.com. Com. And you should make the uh, podcast title the subject line. That's a good idea, right? C-E-N-T-E-R-W-S dot com. Director at centerws.com. That's all the time we have for today. This has been From the Center, and we'll see you next time. Very good. Thank you. Thank you.